freedom. This is a wonderful word in our American culture and all through our history, and this is a significant word as we move uh, this week up upon uh, another celebration of our independence. We find ourselves today just a few blocks from where Patrick Henry said this in 1775, just before the colonists were free from Great Britain. He said, I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me, and you know the words, or give me death. Give me liberty or give me death. We find ourselves just in the shadow here in this great commonwealth and in this location at Second Pres, in the shadow of the state capitol designed by Thomas Jefferson, who's famous for lots of things, but who also wrote these words from the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among them are, you may recall, the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This particular month, June, we are celebrating the 75th anniversary of D-Day and the freedoms, freedoms gained against tyranny and the horrible Nazi oppression. This week, we mark the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising in New York City, an event that kicked off the modern gay rights movement that has brought freedom to so many people to be who God created them to be. This week, we will certainly see lots of red, white, and blue and flag-waving and singing and fireworks and patriotic happenings. So this week, we have a fresh opportunity to think about freedom and what freedom looks like and should look like for all of us. Indeed, at the end of our worship, we're going to sing about America, O beautiful, for spacious skies, for amber ways of grain. And that hymn reminds us that we still have much work to do. Much work to do to be the kind of country that is noble and fully refined from sea to shining sea. We have much work to do. Perhaps like you, while I love this country, I find it hard to rejoice in our freedom when we keep hearing about families separated at the border and children detained in cages. While I celebrate so much about our wonderful nation, it's hard to rejoice in our freedom when it seems that our reputation as a country, a place of dignity and fairness, and justice and decency is perhaps very much in question. It's hard to rejoice in our freedoms when we continue to be a nation that allows so many people to be killed by gun violence. It's hard to celebrate freedom when we know that we lead the world in percentage of people incarcerated, especially people of color. It's also hard to rejoice in freedom when the numbers of suicide in this country continue on a dramatic increase and when so many people struggle with mental illness. Freedom is a main topic of the Bible. 
The very idea of freedom seems fundamental to God and rooted in God's heart and God's intention for God's people. God gives us life, and God wants us to be free to live, free to love, free to prosper in the world. Freedom is certainly a central theme of the Old Testament, the story of God creating and cajoling and coaxing God's beloved people toward life, life life-loving God and life-living and loving in God's world. The story of God and God's people is so interesting and it's so complicated because God creates humankind to be free, free, not puppets, free, not marionettes on a string, but free to make choices, free to make mistakes, free to wander off, free to move away from God. And this is what happens all through the Bible. It's a story of a very dynamic relationship of God and God's people, full of ups and downs because we are free moral agents, free to choose many things. And the story of humankind and the history of the Bible shows how humankind often chooses and uses that freedom in ways that run counter to God. But the story of God and the story of God's people is a story that God never gives up on us. God keeps calling. God keeps cajoling. God keeps coasting, uh, coaxing us to use our freedom in a way that serves God and serves one another. There are more than 50 references to freedom in the New Testament And today we have a passage rich in freedom, rich in helping us consider what life is really about as God's people, how we use our freedom for God's important work in the world. Listen now to Galatians chapter 5. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not again submit to a yoke of slavery. For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, 
let us also be guided by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. So the Apostle Paul is writing these words to a people seeking to be faithful Christians in a region called Galatia. Galatia is an area claimed by the Roman Empire around 25 B.C. And Galatia, this region, would be basically the central part of Turkey today. This letter is most likely written in the middle of the first century, not to one group of people or a church, but to a number of congregations. In Paul's first and second missionary journeys, which are recorded in the book of Acts, Paul met people on this journey and shared the story of Jesus with them and urged them to keep meeting and to form churches and to grow in faith and service. But as we know, church life can get kind of complicated. We strive to worship and serve God, but various questions and various conflicts always come up. Certain questions and issues can divide people, make people quarrel. How is the Spirit at work in a pagan world in the middle of Galatia? How do people balance traditional customs the way they live with their new spirit-filled life in Galatia or in modern-day America? Do these new churches, these people trying to be faithful who are excited about Jesus, do they need to align their lives with Jewish practices as others had done? Do they need to be circumcised, for example, in order to be considered God's people? Do they have to follow certain rules and certain expectations about when to eat and what to eat and how to dress? What are the rules and practices? There were many opinions that were out there on all these things. Here's how Eugene Peterson describes what's going on in Galatia. When men and women get their hands on religion... One of the first things they often do is turn it into an instrument of controlling others, either putting or keeping them in their place. The history of such religious manipulation and coercion is long and tedious. It's little wonder that people who have only known religion on such terms experience release or escape from it as freedom. Paul of Tarsus was doing his diligent best to show something radically and entirely different, the free life in God. Paul learned that God was not an impersonal force to be used to make people behave in certain prescribed ways, but a personal Savior who set us free to live a free life. He founded churches. And then when Paul visited a few years later, Paul learned that religious leaders of the old school had come into those churches, herding all these freedom-loving Christians back into the corral of religious rules and regulations. Paul was furious, furious that this old guard with their strong-arm religious tactics and what they were doing, but also furious with the Christians in Galatia for caving in to their intimidation. His letter to Galatians wants to help them recover their freedom. Paul's letter to the Galatians does not mention the turmoil at the southern border. 
Paul's letter to the Galatians does not mention what to do about a society that keeps children in cages. His letter doesn't mention anything about gun violence. His letter doesn't mention anything about prison reform. But he does mention, for freedom, Christ has set you free. And he does mention, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to the yoke of slavery. And he does remind us, love your neighbor as yourself. And he does say, if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. And his words are always relevant and pertinent to our life and our times. Paul is trying to remind us what the free life in God looks like. It's more than singing patriotic songs and waving the red, white, and blue. It's more than enjoying fireworks and festivals. It's about being absolutely free to live lives that honor God, free to live lives that promote peace and healing, free to live lives that guide us and guide the world toward the reign of God. That's what he's talking about. For freedom, Christ has set us free. That's a statement of fact to move us into the ways of God, to inspire us in the ways of the Spirit, not the ways of the flesh. The ways of the flesh are all around. The list is very familiar. Enmity, strife, jealousy, quarrels, factions, dissensions. It's too familiar. But for freedom, Christ has set us free. And it looks like this, and he keeps painting it. Joy, peace. Patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, self-control. Freedom means our lives are free to look like Jesus' life. Think about that. For freedom, Christ has set us free so our lives look like Jesus' life. Freedom means we're no longer trapped in the ways of enmity and strife which lead to death. No, we love one another. Freedom allows us to do that, love one another. Dorothy Day said it so well. Christians are commanded. Christians are exhorted. Christians are expected to live in a way that doesn't make sense unless God is real, unless God exists. We love one another. Last week, Ginger and I went to see the movie Emmanuel. Emmanuel, you might recall, is the name of the very large historic church, AME Church, in downtown Charleston, South Carolina. Mother Emmanuel is the name of the church, also a place of a horrific shooting in the church building four years ago this month. Emmanuel, the documentary, is about the people closest to that shooting. The documentary delves into the lives of those nine people who were killed at a Bible study at the church. And the film shows so much about their faith and their commitments. There are extensive interviews with family members, husbands, wives, 
daughters, other relatives of the Emmanuel Nine. This is an amazing and powerful and inspiring story. You may recall, and it's depicted in the film, how the judge in Charleston allowed the family members of the victim to speak directly to the shooter at his initial arraignment just days after the shooting. And in that initial encounter, some of the faithful members of Mother Emmanuel told the shooter that they forgave him. Forgave him. That story of forgiveness sent shockwaves, both inspiring and conflicting, around the world. That forgiveness was an awesome witness to a bedrock principle of Christian faith. For freedom, Christ has set us free, free to live like Christ. They said, we forgive you. That forgiveness also created tension and uncertainty among the community because those words of forgiveness dissipated the anger dissipated the inclination even of some there to riot as an expression of their anger. Like Richmond, Charleston has a 400-year history of racism and oppression of African Americans. And for some, the word forgiveness to a white supremacist felt like giving in one more time. The movie shows that not all the families of the Emmanuel Nine could express that forgiveness. Some said they were a work in progress, no small matter. Some said they would pray for the shooter of their loved one, no small matter. Yet all of them talked about the importance in their lives of their Christian faith and their church community at Mother Emmanuel, and God's sustaining care of them as this angry, racist young man entered their church and brought such unspeakable pain to their very lives and their community. The film is amazing. It's powerful. It was also powerful to see it in a theater. At the conclusion of the film, no one moved. Sheer, sustained silence. When the lights came up, initially, everyone just sat there. Then slowly and silently, we filed out. The movie is a witness to the power of faith and to the promises of God. God never gives up on us. God keeps calling us to deeper lives of love and service of trust and forgiveness and commitment. And in very amazing ways, the faith and the lives of those people at Mother Emmanuel give us current real-life inspiration for what Paul has been telling us across the generations. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit to the yoke of slavery, but love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by 
Take care that you're not consumed by one another. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. For if we are led by the Spirit, let us be guided by the Spirit. You know what? We never know what standing firm is going to look like in our lives. We never know what is going to be called forth from us as faithful people. We do know that with God, the last thing or the worst thing is never the last thing. We know with God, the worst thing is never the last thing. God has the last word, and it's always a word of hope and light. Let us always remember, especially in this week of celebrating, especially in these days for ourselves, our church, our community, our world, for freedom. Christ has set us free, and our real and only goal and purpose is to live not by the flesh, not in enmity, not in strife, not in jealousy, not in anger. Live by the Spirit. And so inherit the wonderful reign of God. How about it? Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we believe. We do. Help our unbelief. And by your Spirit, O oh God, keep shaping us in the ways of Jesus. Amen.